College Game Day, the podcast, is hosted by Reese Davis and Pete Thamel. We'll get you ready for March Madness with expert analysis, guests, and insights diving into college basketball, as well as looking ahead to the NFL draft. That's College Game Day, the podcast. Listen, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you got to let your game speak for itself. I think games should speak for itself. Talk a little trash that's wet in your face. Give me that when you block a shot, whatever. Right. Like, that's normal. But then there's times, like you said before, where it becomes a little extra. And I think, you know, as my son gets older, if he plays, I'm gonna let him know, like, look, talk all the trash you want, but you better be working on your game. What's up, everybody? I want to welcome you to the CJ McCollum Show. Across on my screen, as always, is Izzy Gutierrez. We have a very, very special guest. Goes by the name of Kendrick Perkins. I'm sure you guys are all very familiar with him. Shout out to Perk. Appreciate you joining the pod. How you doing, brother? CJ, Izzy, I appreciate y'all having me on. You know what I mean? What's up, C? The I, most I, controversial I, figure at ESPN right now. I, I am. I am a little bit. I'm ruffling the feathers. I'm just not used to seeing both of y'all without y'all suits on. You know what I mean? Made suits. You know what I'm saying? Haircuts and everything. I like this vibe. I like this vibe. Nice and laid back, man. I'm fresh out of practice. Fresh out of you know a team awareness meeting where we talked about the importance of mental health, having a therapist, finances. We had a we had a good conversation with the guys and. Uh, you know, you got to be comfortable on the podcast when you're sitting at home at the crib, chilling, relaxing. It's got to be very comfortable. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm glad y'all did practice because, damn it, y'all need it. Ooh. Y'all need it. <laughs> definitely need it. I only, look, I'm not I the think one. I we going to go there, but hey. It's not my part. I'm on it, but damn it, I didn't want to dive into it, but I want to know what the hell is going on. I need uh, to know what's going on. No, nah, I think we'll be in a much better spot going forward. Um, we had some good conversations today. We had some some good talks as a team to kind of figure out how mm-hmm. we want to move forward. You know, you talk about you play in the league. You know, accountability is important. But then sometimes you just need to have those honest conversations to figure out what's going wrong, how we can kind of write it. And as the saying goes, it's never as good as it seems and it's never as bad as it seems. And mm-hmm. considering our circumstances of, you know, obviously the ass whooping we just took the other night, we steal two games out of seven, right? Yeah. We still have a chance to accomplish a lot of things we set out to accomplish to start this year. Um, we just got to take care of what's in front of us, uh, put put each foot forward, understand that it's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough. You're going to play against a lot of good teams. You're going to play against some teams that don't have a good record but are going to compete. And at the end of the day, as long as you prepare as best you can and do what you're supposed to do, you generally don't give yourself a chance. And a lot of a lot of guys have gone through different stuff this year, right? Mm-hmm. Like role changes, some injuries, guys playing 35 minutes that wasn't accustomed to it. And just quite to be honest, you know, me, B, and, and Z have only played 10 games together collectively. Right. So it's not ideal. It's not excuse making. It's our reality. A lot of teams have been through injuries, and a lot of teams are only a few games under over 500. If you look at the West, it's basically, you know, three teams that pay solidified where they're at, and then it's nine nine to 10 teams fighting for the last six spots. Yeah, and, and you know what? You need those coming as Jesus moments, right? Like mm-hmm. when you just add out, everybody get off they, get it off their chest, and it happens. It happens in every, it happened in every locker room I was in. In the 82 game season, guys gonna have to, you know, they say what they feel towards one another, and guys gotta be able to accept it. So funny, since we're here, um, I might have spoken to somebody from the Pelicans organization uh, who is not a player. Um, and the here, here, CJ, this is news to you too, so I haven't told you this. But here's the phrasing. It was, um, 
there's a lot of guys in the team that hold themselves accountable, but not many guys, if any guys who are going to hold everybody else accountable. And I didn't really dig in on what that means. Uh, so I'm curious, CJ, when you hear that, what do you think about that, about your own team? I, th I think we handle what needs to be handled today and that we won't have to worry about that going forward. Mm, sounds like a fun meeting. Uh, yeah, it, was, it was a good one. Okay. All right. So there you go. So that was handled. Uh, Perk, he, uh, CJ mentioned uh, the three teams, at least on the West, that sort of solidified uh, where they're heading. And so I want to give you props because we did a, a hoop streams before, I think it was the opening night, and we were told to, you know, come up with a bold prediction. My bold prediction didn't really it didn't really flow that well because my bold prediction would be that Jimmy Butler would be the third leading scorer for the Heat, which wasn't really a bold prediction. You kind of called me out on it, Perk. But what it meant to be was that, you know, Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo were going to be better this year. Therefore, they're going to, you know, overdo more. And then the Heat will be ridiculously better. Terrible prediction. Failed miserably. But Perk, you said the Kings were going to make the playoffs before the season started. And they're a three seed. So what the hell did you see then? And are you going to lie to us and say you, you saw things that you didn't see before? <laughs> well, I, listen, I, when I said make the playoffs, I thought actually when I thought about the Kings, I thought about them being in that play-in play position and actually getting into the playoffs because of the addition of the play-in tournament. I didn't know that they were going to be this good. And shout-out to Mike Brown because – that's the thing that they were missing, right? They were missing a leader. They were missing a a, 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 a guy that was going to go in there and demand the locker room for us, you know, being able to hold guys accountable. See, what happens is, is when you have a coach, a head coach that enters a locker room, especially a young locker room, CJ just talked about this when it comes down to the Pelicans, accountability. Well, you have to respect the coach that then won championships. You have to respect the coach that just finished coaching Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Klay Thompson and what he's bringing to the table. And then all of a sudden you have a, an extension of the coach in Harrison Barnes that is in that locker room that has been through those wars. So I'm looking at De'Aaron Fox and I'm saying, I'm watching this guy improve every single season. He's improving every single season. I done watched him time and time again where he's had these monster four quarters where he's taking over these four quarters. And then I'm looking at a guy like Sabonis, and we talk about Giannis, we talk about Jokic, we talk about Embiid and Anthony Davis, and rightfully so. But the, the fifth best big and that falls into that conversation is Sabonis. And I just remember I went back to Oklahoma City to visit one time. And I went to, to the practice facility. And at the time, Troy Weaver was the assistant GM. And so I was there when they actually made the trade for Paul George. And man, I was by Troy Weaver and he was in tears because he didn't really want to give up Sabonis. So I'm sitting up here saying, is it something that I'm missing here? Because you're about to get Paul George and you're in tears about Sabonis. And he said, Perk, I'm telling you, this kid is going to be special. This kid has game. He has an IQ. He's going to have a way better career than his dad. Now I'm thinking he's capping or, you know, it's a reach. But then we see it. You know, we talk about what Jokic average Sabonis is, what, 19, 12, and 7 a night. His IQ on the defensive end, anchoring that defense. And when they drafted Keegan Murray, I watched him in college and I'm like, this brother has an old soul, like so poised and 
high IQ and doesn't take bad shots. And I'm looking at the depth of, like, for us adding Malik Monk and guys to that nature. And I'm like, hold on. This, this team could be pretty dangerous, like, for us getting into the postseason. So I was like, you know what? Let me jump off the porch. I'm rolling with the Kings. CJ, you guys uh, played them not too long ago, a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah. What is it? What stands out about them? The pace. Everything is fast. And I think you watch the clips and you see it. You see their offensive rating. You see how many threes they shoot. And then you guard it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, I understand now. And we played them without De'Aaron Fox, right? right? And they still were playing fast. Obviously, we beat them once at home. We beat the bricks off them at home. Then we went to their house and they beat the bricks off of us. And um, the fan support, obviously, the Kings fans are excited. You know, this is the first time they're going to potentially make the postseason since 15, 15, 16 years ago. Sabonis playing off of that pinch post, his ability to, to obviously score. He's a scoring threat, but he can make almost every pass. He's a great illegal screener. You know what I'm talking about, Perk. Yeah. He, he, he sets some great illegal screens and legal and legal. You know, the borderline ones that I love as a guard, right? When you come off, you know, you got extra space. You can take your time. You can seam the ball, those types of things. They got explosive scores. Obviously, they got a, a great lead guard who's able to, to score at all three levels. He's efficient. He's effective. Kevin Herter was a great trade because he's just a catch-and-shoot specialist, can move without the ball, backdoor cuts. HB, you know, he's playing well. Black Falcon, uh, you talked about the rookie they drafted. He got a strap. He's shooting like 42% from three. They got Trey Lyles, you know, I'm call him a little bully now based on what he did the other night. But looking at, the, <laughs> looking at their roster, they're well-equipped for success in the immediate future. And the present, which is what you want, right? You want to be able to succeed now, but also have flexibility to succeed later. I think they built a great roster around Mike Brown, and I'm happy to see him succeeding because he hasn't gotten enough credit for how good he is as a coach historically. And now people are starting to see that. Like, Not only can he anchor a great defense you know, as a leader, but he got them rolling and have a number one offense in the NBA too. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you are into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Quick pause, because I'd never heard the Black Falcon nickname uh, <laughs> for Harrison Barnes. Do you know the origin of that, Siege? Yeah, uh, HB is my guy. I just, I've just heard people call him the Black Falcon before. I just call him HB, but I have. I think it was back in his days in the Bay. I think they was calling him the Black Falcon. 
I just I just looked it up real quick and it's it's he says it was funny I was a huge Kobe fan and so many people were as he was known as the Black Mamba uh he said Michael Jordan was his favorite player MJ was the Black Cat which I do not remember at all uh so we were in New York my senior year of high school getting ready for Elite 24 and I was with uh Mike Hill and Jay Harris who were both ESPN anchors and we were just talking talking about just different nicknames we came up with that one and I was like oh Okay. So I jokingly said that when I got to the University of North Carolina, one of my first days on campus, I saw this magazine that was like the Black Falcon and it had a picture of me. I was like, oh man, this nickname's going to stick for a while. And it's been around ever since. I never heard of it. That's crazy. The Black Falcon. <laughs> um, less funny. Uh, if we want to go to another team in the Western Conference that has sort of established itself, uh, and that's the Memphis Grizzlies. And so it's Wednesday. Normally we record this a little earlier, but it's good that we're getting the news of the day. <clears throat> and he's been officially suspended for eight games. Um, Adam Silver came out and talked about the danger, which I thought was good of him to say. This a danger specifically for his young fans um, for this to happen and them to sort of uh, see him doing this, brandishing a gun on that IG live video. Um, I'll start with you, Perk. Your thoughts on the suspension, the 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 statement from the league, and just kind of where we are with Ja right now. Well, well, one, I thought the suspension was more than fair. Uh, and, and that's the great thing about Adam Silver. And CJ, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that Adam Silver is the best commissioner in sports. That's just my honest opinion. Uh, with you being able, with how he interacts with players us personally like a lot of players are able to pick up the phone and actually call him and have a conversation with him right and I have seen over the last few years how the league and the players association have figured things out together at times like I've never seen it before right like not saying that they're always going to be on the same page we know it's going to come a point where it's negotiation or things may happen where you know, the Players Association is going to totally agree with the NBA and vice versa. But I witnessed things in the bubble that happened that made me realize, I said, you know what? In my opinion, the league and the Players Association have never been this tied together in my life. I've never seen it. And so when I think about the eight-game suspension, I think it was warranted. One, because you have to send a message that this is not okay. And due to social media and how, you know, almost every NBA player want to live the rapper life and every rapper almost want to be a hooper. I think this was time to not only address job, but address the whole culture in itself, right? Like, let's get a, a, a stranglehold on it ASAP. Because I saw, you know, somebody had tweeted out about six months ago and was like, man, can we clean up like all this like tough guy talk or tough guy swag in the locker rooms like we're hoopers? And I actually saw LeBron James co-tweeted like real talk, man, like we're hoopers, we're not gangsters. And that's real talk. And so when it comes down to job, all right, lesson learned, right? And I'm glad he actually went through this now uh, than later because he still got time to grow and I believe he will be better. Here's the thing that, it, that uh, impressed me the most where I say, I actually applaud him about. It's so hard for people to go out, especially young African-Americans, to seek counseling, right? Because we grew up in communities where if 
you were going to, to get help or seek counseling for your mentor, whatever the case may be, you were frowned upon. You were laughed at. And so that made you not want to go. And so when you see incidents like this happen and you hear the reports that he actually went out there and, and, and he went to counseling, that, that, that only shows that he's holding himself accountable, but it also opens the door for some young athletes around the world to say, it's okay to get help. Because I was one of those players. I went to anger management uh, when I was with the Oklahoma City Thunder for some trouble. I got into outside of the uh, basketball lines. I had a warrant out for my arrest for having a fight outside the club. And it was the best thing that happened for me because I learned, one, how to control my motions. Two, I also learned not to put myself in certain positions that was going to bring the worst out of me. Craig, if I can drill a little deeper on that, then when you say learned how to control my emotions, like what kind of stuff were you did you talk about then uh, that you just didn't either know or just didn't really register as you're, you know, coming up and just, you know, growing up on your own? Well, well, so like I was in there with a lot of doctors and around the world, like anesthesiologists, spinal surgeons that had like quote unquote power trips in their job and was being reported. And so what I learned was, was that first think about, where you're going. If you plan, if you're invited somewhere or somebody wants you to go to, to this gala or to this club or to this event, think about what you're doing first. Like think about should you actually be there, right? And then I started to learn more about myself, about not addressing or, or making it or, or letting things go, like letting things go. So now I could let people say crazy things to me and I'm okay with it. I could let people you know, uh, you know, have certain feelings towards me or whatever the case may be. And I, I can say, you know what? I'm still going to sleep at night. Like, it's not worth me even entertaining. And ever since then, it put me in a better space mentally where I'm under control. Not saying I was a guy that was raging or some dumbass stuff like that, but I needed to clean up some things about myself and it helped. CJ, I'm wondering what, Obviously, your position is a unique one as the president of the Players Association. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering what, if any, if like there's a a overall lesson that maybe this sort of reverberates through with other players more so than you know some other suspension. I think this this shows a combination of things. Obviously, we all can acknowledge what he did was wrong. Um, mm -hmm. How he did what he did was wrong. Timing of it, where he was at, all those things associated with this issue that that came up was wrong. I think the fact that He's been mentioned in a lot of different scenarios in which it's not a great light in terms of the situation with the, with the minor at his house and whatever other stories that they're leaking. It's just too many occasions in which things haven't gone well for him. And then you add this to it, and I think it shows you that, you know, there's obviously maybe something else that may have been going on in his life, as Perk kind of alluded to. Um, I talked about how, you know, I personally have a therapist that I speak to, and I, I would encourage everyone to get a therapist for lots mm -hmm. of different reasons. Um, you talk about generational trauma that's passed down. Um that you just kind of inherit. You talk about the normal struggles that we face as, as men in America, as African-American men, as minority men in America, the list goes on and on. Everybody's going through something different, but for us, it's, I, I would say it's a little different in terms of uh, the path that some of us have chosen to take. And obviously it pays well to be in sports, to work in the sports world. Um, but there's a lot that comes with that. And when you're younger, you don't necessarily know how to deal with it. Things can happen. And I think this is a sign that shows 
you know, we all have to be more vulnerable in terms of admitting to having struggles, admitting to having issues, um, and sometimes not knowing how to deal with them and not knowing, you know, how to get the proper help. And I think we are starting to be more open as a society to talking about the importance of your mental health, the importance of having um, good mentors in your life, people who are doing things the right way that have gone through what you're going through in terms of what Perk had referenced before. We've all done some things that we're not proud of. We just haven't been caught, like to be honest with you. And I think this is a situation in which he's such a high profile player. His future is so bright. He has such a, you know, almost like a cult following, like kids love him. Um, adults love his game the way he plays they love memphis grizzlies memphis has never been on tv so much right and i think you you add that combination of things together him having a shoe it's a lot that he's going through and i'm not speaking for him i'm just saying i go through a lot and i ain't in his shoes i don't know what he's dealing with personally but we all got our own struggles and i think this is a sign in which all athletes from all walks of life um i read the article about the receiver uh who was betting on um football um um, yeah. Calvin Ridley Calvin Ridley and that story was great because it talked about his childhood traumas and how that impacts him to this day and how he was going through issues that he didn't even know were issues until he got older and now that he's gotten help he feels so much more at peace with himself and I think I say all this to say that the world is in a, a much better space and place than it was historically and I don't know how Perk was raised but I was raised that what goes in his house stays in his house mm -hmm. um and what what in that house may have affected you to this day and and now that you know I'm I'm old enough to be an adult and be a man or be a father and a husband like I know that I need help in certain areas and I'm going to go get it so that I can be um at peace with my day-to-day -day work at home with my day-to-day -day work um, in the office and on the court and whatever else you want to call it. I think that's important, but I think the athletes in today's society are learning that it's okay to get help. It's okay to have different outlets and ways in which you release energy, but it has to be done constructively and positively. And this is a case where like Perk said before, I'm glad this happened early on in his life to where he can kind of amend and right some of the wrongs that he's done and move forward. Yeah. The only thing I'll add to the therapy part is, you know, um, I, I understand the idea of therapy isn't for everyone, which I don't actually necessarily agree with. I think the right therapist is what needs to be found, right? The right mm -hmm. person to talk to, because you know, I've bounced from one or two or three and never really found a great one that really I vibed with and then did. And it was a totally different experience. And so, you know, you, you might not know what you need in those conversations. It might not even be from a professional. You might get what you need from just having a chat with somebody, uh, you know, about life issues or whatever. So uh, that's the only thing I'd say is if you tried it once or twice and think, hey, it's not for me, eh, maybe it's just not the right person. But I, I still wanted to stay here because I, I just have a hard time understanding. Like, and maybe you guys can help me out with this. Maybe you can't. But what is it that sort of John ja Morant is caught up in? What is it that? You know, when you when you hear, oh, he's going to a treatment facility and he's going to discuss certain things, where does that come from? Is it is it like is it him changing his personality from what it was before? Is it him sort of digging in and like, you know, with, with friends or a lifestyle that he never was part of before? And now it's just all different. Is he consumed with just, hey, that part of the life, like the fame and the friendships and everything that you can do with all that money? Because I'm confused as to what it is. You know, it's not a substance thing as far as we all know, and nobody's trying to dig down and get too personal. But like, I, I'm just I'm just wondering if you could explain what the lifestyle and that that can do for a person like John Morant to get him in this situation. Well, I think it's a it's a product. It's a, being a product of your environment. And 
when we think about Memphis, right, the city of Memphis, and I love the city of Memphis, great food. I actually committed to the University of Memphis, thought about going to college there. But then you think about the culture in Memphis, right? You think about Young Dolph, you think about Yo Gotti, you think about Finesse two times. And when you when you go to that game, it's rowdy and it's rocky. And you may see them on the sideline. They got their ice style chains on. And, you know, they may, after the game, they may have, you know, 10, 15 grand on the floor. It's the culture, right? So all of a sudden you have a young upcoming superstar that is playing in Memphis. Uh, and, and all of a sudden people are saying, hold on. You got guys like Stephen A saying, hold on. I don't want to see Elvis Presley around on billboards no more. I need to see John Morant because he's that damn box office, and rightfully so. So we see in the highlights. Now, all of a sudden, you see ESPN go down there and do all access on the Memphis Grizzlies, and people are wondering why they don't have more national televised games. And this team is balling. Their games are sold out, and solely because of your superstar and John Morant. And then what I did was I started watching the pattern. It's just like when I was living in Houston. I, I'm from Te I'm from Texas, born and raised. I live in Houston. Growing up, Paul Wall, Slim Thug, uh, 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 shoot, uh, Mike Jones, uh, all those guys, right? Mike Jones. Yeah, Mike Jones. You know who Mike Jones? That's whatever, right? So they got the gold grills. I had a grill, so I see John Morant. I see him start to adapt to that environment. I watch him on Twitter, and I started to see the way that he was actually talking on Twitter and those, the choice of words. And I'm like, okay, they embracing him. You know what I mean? The, he embracing them, they embracing, they embracing him as well. And so I said to myself, I was like, this is not good. Uh, this is not good for the simple fact you actually need somebody in this corner that's going to tell him what he needs to hear and not what he want to hear. And CJ, I don't know how you feel about this, but this is where... I kind of get pissed off why well, I, I do get pissed off at organizations for being cheap. And this is why veterans matter. Like whatever it is right now, the 2.4, the 2.6 million that you may have when it comes down to spending on the bet, they could solely just come in and be an extension of the coach. He don't have to play one minute. We watch it with the Miami Heat. UD still, we know UD not getting in the game. We don't even know if UD go practice. He's in great shape. But we know he holds that locker room down. We know he's able to be there and enforce the air exposure so he could be the best version of himself. And I thought all along the Memphis Grizzlies needed that one guy in that locker room, especially in John Morant here, just to guide him. Because when I was drafted at 18 years of age, I went to the Celtics. I had vets like Tony Batiste, Walter McCarty, Tony Delk, Eric Williams. So I had like these family men that was 10 years plus that was saying, hey, young fella, that ain't it. And I know you're on the IR list, but why are you going out? You know, you should be the first person in the gym, the last to leave. Like just those little things and picking up the right habits on the road. So when I look at the Grizzlies overall, not just Ja, I look at Dylan Brooks, I look at Jaron Jackson Jr., all those guys are talented and can play the damn game of basketball, but they're missing that veteran leadership and those guys that's going to go in there and teach them 
on what to do. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. Yeah, I think you you said it right. And I think one of the things I've learned as I've gotten older in the league is that teammates matter, organization matters, location of your franchise matters. Also, who you surround yourself with matters. And mm -hmm. like you said before, I was fortunate to have a brother who was older than me and he made sure I didn't go left. He made sure I was going right. And that was very helpful for me because I was just a young kid. You know, you do what you see and you see what you do. Wow. And you, we are all, all are products of our environment until the environment changes. And I think for, for a job, this is a situation in which obviously things kind of got out of hand and um, we got to a place where some changes needed to be made in his, in his day-to-day -day life. And I think he's going, he's taking the steps in the right dire direction towards doing that. And you talked about having the right conversations with the right types of people, whether that's a therapist or just a mentor who's been where you're trying to go and has already experienced things that you're kind of experiencing. I think that's really important. I've had some of my best conversations with people who have walked the same path as me, right? Like they can tell me like, you know, you got to work like this. You got to do these things this type of way. When I was married, I did this. When I had kids, I did this. This is how you manage your time better. Like, we living in a world in which we're experiencing things for the first time in our families, right? Yeah. Like we the first to experience nearly everything. The first millionaires, first to play on TV, the first to buy your mama a car, the first to buy your daddy a car, buy a house. We are creating generational wealth, but we the first people to ever do it. So like everything is trial and error. And sometimes your error become public. I think this is a situation in which his life has become super public, probably more than he ever thought it would be right? More than we all ever thought it would be with social media. And now we're at that stage where, like you said before, veteran presence matters, right? But also accountability. Like when you know there's real punishments for your actions, that's when you see drastic changes in people's lives. And I think this is a situation in which he's realizing drastic changes need to be made and that the sky's the limit for him. Like this guy is, he's got potential to, to do special, special things in this game. I'm a big fan of him and his family. I have nothing but love for him and his family. They've always showed me respect. And I told him, I was like, you, we kept the door open and you kicked it open for mid majors. You know what I mean? Like we always just say, keep the door right. open for the next guy, right? Give the next guy an opportunity that's deserving that, that nobody may know about. Um, and he's doing that and Dame's doing that and I'm doing that. And Steph and, Next person, there's going to be another John Morant, you know, that comes um, because of what these guys have done before us. And I think this is a sign that um, we do need veterans in this league. We do need the right leadership in this league. And we need more people to say no than yes around you. And I think that's really, really important. If if there's kids out there, you know, whether you hoop or not, whether you play a sport or not, you need people that are going to challenge you to be the best version of yourself and that aren't afraid to not tell you what you want to hear. And if you've taken care of everybody, it's going to be hard for you to find that sometimes. And we all have gone through that where you're looking out for everybody who's going to tell you no. So it sounds to me like it's, it's a combination of like this created like God complex that he's like, I can do no wrong. Uh, and him still being youthful, wanting to maintain that youth, but being forced to grow up at the same time. Like all those things kind of coming together at one time where it's just like, oh, wow, I thought I was untouchable, but I'm not. And it's crashing down on me all at once. And I would guess that the the feeling of that you would need sort of therapy for or some sort of relief is that feeling of the pressure of like, oh, man, I thought I was doing everything the way I was supposed to. Now I'm failing my team. I'm failing uh, the, the organization. I'm failing the kids around the organization who look up to me like 
that must have been sort of a, a realization that, you know, like I said, came crashing down on someone. And it's just like, man, I might need some time with this. Does that make sense? It, it makes a lot of sense. And, and the, the most important child that Josh should always think about is his daughter. And that's that's one thing about me. I have a 15-year-old son, I have an 11-year-old son, and I have twins that are six. And my 15-year-old and my 11-year-old, they have cell phones, they're on social media, they have friends, they're in school. And I have to always remember that I always have to go out in the world and make sure I represent great fashion because I can handle embarrassment. But when it starts to reflect on your kids and your kids have to deal with certain things because of your mistakes or something dumb that you didn't did, that's a problem. So if I'm job, my message to him, out of all the people in the world, I, even, even before, my, before himself, think about your daughter because we know how much he loved his child. We see him on, on, on the court. We see we see him, you know, daddy's little girl, you know how much he cares for and love for this child, you know, but as this child get older, you have to remember, this child have to go to school and be around her peers. And that child don't deserve that embarrassment because of her father's mistakes. And that's the one thing that I learned. Yeah, I agree, Perk. I think as a new father, everything in the, in the world matters, but nothing matters the way your kid matters. And yep. If don't nothing set you straight from a mentality standpoint, from an approach standpoint, that will. And I think the thought of the thought of me letting my son down is like the worst thought in the world, right? Because it's like you try to do everything you can to empower what comes after you, what you leave. And to have a girl, oof, that's a whole nother like that love is even different than the love you got for your son, because that's so, so much more precious and gentle. And you want to make sure you're doing everything you can to provide what your daughter needs in different ways than what you would do for your son. So like, I can only imagine, you know, think about it. The letdown is one thing, letting the organization down, letting fans down, letting your team down. Obviously there's financial incentives, but to think that you let your mom and dad down, your kid down, that's a whole nother level. Like you said before of that's why you do it anyway, right? Like you're doing this to take care of your people and because you love it. And when you can't take care of your people, that's a whole different conversation and subject, subject matter at, at, at hand here. But I think, one of the things I'll say is we all went to school, right? You know, you, you, you learn on the fly, the streets kind of raise you at some point, you know, you travel yeah. half of your life. So it is lonely. It is a, it is a different lifestyle. No matter how much money you got, it's a different lifestyle and everybody copes with stuff differently, right? Like, to be honest with you, everybody, some people like to go out. You've been in a league park. Some people can't hoop when they don't go out. Some people don't do well sitting in the room and their thoughts. Like, yeah. I didn't see guys. It's like they got to go out to get buckets. They got to go out to be a great creator and a great defender. And that's fine. You got to figure out what it is that you can do to be successful while making sure you're still taking care of your physical and your mental because you can only escape for so long. Like you can only use outlets, video games, substance, whatever the case may be for so long before you got to really sit down and, and tackle what's the, what's the real issue at hand. And I think the reset for me is doing that stuff with my therapist or going on walks or whatever. And I think in Jaws case, the reset for him was just getting away from basketball, taking a step back and saying like, okay, why are these things happening? Like, what, what what's the real issue here to where like I feel like I have to do certain things or what is my mindset like right now and how do I better myself going forward so that I can be John Morant so that I can be the best father the best teammate the best player that I can be 
And I think he's heading in that direction based on conversations that I've had behind closed doors with, with people close to him and based on the work that you know the PA is doing, that he's doing on his own and that the organization is doing on their own. And I think their coach did a great job of saying like, look, we're taking steps in the right direction, but we're going to hold him accountable. And we have some things that he's going to have to do um, outside of what the league is asking him to do. And that's what a good coach does. They hold yeah. their players accountable and you hold them to a standard. And whether you got veterans or not, Steven Adams said he gave him a talk about, you know, making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do on the road. So that's a conversation that they got to have. And Steven Adams is a big dude and he looked like he got everybody's back. So that's a conversation mm-hmm. that they got to have behind closed doors where they're talking about how they can be better as a team because they got a lot that they can accomplish this year. Well, let me ask you this. And I don't know if this is as much of a jump off of John Morant, but it did make me think of it when I heard about the whole situation with the Pacers and, you know, after the game. And I'm just like, man, people are taking way too seriously. It's a basketball game. Um, and one of the things that, you know, watching us, I watch a lot of youth basketball lately. And like, it's annoying to watch somebody just, you know, back somebody down, score a layup and look at the defender and say, you suck. And then just run down. Like there's this ultra like negativity that I feel like is unnecessary a lot. And it leads to, you know, people getting angrier than they need to be right. You gave up a bucket. You're already angry. You got the person telling you, you suck unnecessarily. Like it's going to lead to some stuff that, you know, probably goes beyond normal sports. And I'm just wondering if you guys think that that is too prevalent. Like if it's one thing to talk trash, like we had Grant Williams on the other day and CJ, you know, repeated some of the trash. He talked to him, but it's another thing to be that sort of unnecessarily like angry at your opponent. I'm just curious if that is something that you guys see as much as, as being a problem or if it's just, Hey, it's just people talking trash and maybe they just reel it in a little bit. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you this much is if, if if you think that you know a guy yelling at somebody saying they suck is is over the top, then damn it, well, you don't want to hear some of the stuff. I'm being nice. I wasn't really. I, I know, but I mean, you you gotta understand. Listen, I played on the team with KG oh, and goodness. Paul Pierce, right? Mm-hmm. So you can only imagine some of the things that were said in between those lines. I mean, well, that so- one KG clip trash ass, you know, that's <laughs> like, it, it, it reaches the kids. And that was yeah. a light, that was a light version of KG. That was that. a light <laughs> version, but, but you know what? Here's the thing. I actually, me personally, I actually don't mind the passion uh, that, that is put behind like the little beef, even the beef between, you know, Dylan Brooks and, and Draymond Green. I actually like that. Cause I felt like our league got got to the point where it was getting to too much buddy buddy in between the lines. Meaning, like you know, after the game, I don't mind the jersey swap, but I also mind a little trash talking because it build up the anticipation, the anticipation of watching this game. Like I never yeah. thought in my wildest dreams that I would be turning on the Golden State Warriors versus the Memphis Grizzlies, and I'm looking forward to Dylan Brooks and Draymond Green. Think about that to me is a little different, though, because that it's like it's a rivalry. They're going at it. I'm talking about you're playing against somebody you don't even know. And you're just you do it to make yourself feel better about yourself. Like, I, I don't know. I, maybe it's just a, a little off for me, but I feel like there's way too much of that, especially in like younger, uh, you know, youth basketball. That's true. I can speak it, to it, should, again. it shouldn't be. Oh, boy. Hey, like it shouldn't be. All right. Keep talking. You go get smoked. Like, no, nah, we ain't talking. Like, it, shouldn't go, it shouldn't go that far. But. Just a little, a little, little boxing don't harm nobody. I think it just bring out the competitive nature. I think historically we talk trash growing up because mm-hmm. of the end goal. 
it wasn't even necessarily about who he was playing against in that moment. It was about, I have to have this type of mentality when I play basketball because this is how I'm going to take care of my family. So mm-hmm. in my eyes, I don't know Joe Schmo from Idaho, select, Iowa select, whatever it is. But in my eyes, it's me and him, and we competing for the same scholarship, the same opportunities at the next level. So in my eyes, he's taken away from my family, and I got to do what I got to do to to beat him. And I want to make sure that he hears about how I'm beating him throughout so that I can maybe take his confidence away. And that if I have to see him again later on down the road, he remembers how I did him that night. And I think that's now it's Perk can speak to it. Now it's, it's kind of out of hand with these kids. They talking crazy now at, at, at every level, basically oh, in the AAU scene it's oh, wild. It's bad. It's horrible. It's horrible. I just left Alabama with my two sons in the AAU tournament and and I actually coached my son fifth grade team. And I'm sitting up here in, in the language that these kids are using, including my own. I It caught me off guard. Like, you know, get up, get your ass up. Like, it's just like, hold on, hold on, you're in the fifth grade. But again, you have to think, <laughs> you, have to, you have to think about this though, Izzy. Mm-hmm. My son, I'm just talking about my kids. I, I barely go upstairs, and that's where their room is at. And then I caught my, I, I walked by their room door, and they were on the video game uh, playing NBA 2K. They got their headphones on. And I mean, they in there talking reckless. They don't know I'm outside the door. So I opened the door. I'm like, damn, y'all okay? Y'all, like, this the language y'all using? Like, and I had to, like, check them. But this is what's going on, and it's so hard because in this day day and age, especially with like if you got sons, you gotta have that that fine line. I mean, you gotta kind of straddle the fence of actually being their father and keeping it real. Because if you don't keep it real with them first, they're gonna go out there in the real world and be blind, and somebody else go expose them to things anyway. So you gotta expose them inside the home yeah. before they go out. Somebody's gonna teach them. It might as well be you. Exactly. Right? Exactly. But I'm with you there. That's that's the, the stuff I'm talking about. You're talking about those AAU tournaments and guys who don't even know each other. They just happen to be playing, you know, somebody from Idaho. I was actually there a couple of weeks ago. Nice place. Um, but yeah, that's the type of stuff where I feel like it's kind of unnecessary and goes over the top. But as long as people keep it between the lines, that's fine. Yeah. I think that's where people might have some issues like, you know, maybe you took it too far and then you take it outside and then it just becomes a bit much. So that's why I'm saying kind of reel it in a little bit at that level. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that one. Um, yeah, you got to let your game speak for itself. I think games should speak oh. for itself. Talk a little trash that's wet in your face. Give me that when you block a shot, whatever. Right. Like That's normal. But then there's times, like you said before, where it becomes a little extra. And I think, you know, as my son gets older, if he plays, I'm going to let him know, like, look, Talk all the trash you want, but you better be working on your game. Because if you out here looking weak, you're going to be getting yeah. exposed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, last thing, because I think we went a little long on that. But um, there's another podcast by some guy named J.J. Reddick, who uh, is Kendrick's best friend. Uh, Dame Litter was on there, and he mentioned, uh, in <laughs> paraphrasing, he basically said he didn't enjoy what the NBA as a whole is becoming. And it was just everybody focusing on rings and there, there's nothing else. There's no in between. It's rings or nothing. Uh, and just doesn't like the way that the league is going. I am a fan of that direction of conversation because I like to talk about basketball. And it's okay to talk about the Knicks without saying, oh, they're never going to win a championship. They suck. It's okay to talk about them being better this year and having, you know, a really good base and stuff. And I think that 
that's kind of a, a product, a byproduct of what Dame's talking about. It's either, you know, you're either a, a champ or you're a loser. And I was just curious what you guys thought when you heard that. I want to hear CJ first. I think Dame historically is challenged by the media and by the casual fan because he hasn't won a ring. I think I think it bothers him that people always bring that up. They don't talk about his success without bringing up the fact that he doesn't have a ring. And I think in his mind, and I don't know where the conversation went, but you can still be a great player and not win a ring. And I think Charles has talked about that, right? Like maybe it's different rooms in the Hall of Fame or the top 75, whatever the case may be. And Dion talked about it as well, like where there's this level. And then there's another level in which you still were very good. You just didn't win a ring. But I think he feels like there's this negative. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight. S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network connotation associated with being good being happy but not winning a rink and i think for him he thinks that the conversation historically has been like dang's very good but he didn't win a rink like he's great but didn't win a ring cp is really good he's great all of famer but he hasn't won a ring yet as opposed to just acknowledging the journey acknowledging that these players are really good in their own right they've had great careers hall of fame careers they just so happen to not win a ring where some players, I mean, you could you could argue in the right situation, a lot of guys get a chance to win a ring, um, depending on the roster built around them or whatever the case may be. But I think he's tired of the the conversation centered around rings instead of the journey and the work and what goes into being a great player. And maybe you win a ring while you're doing it. Maybe you chase a ring. Maybe you stay loyal to the soil or whatever the case may be. But either way, you're judged. If you leave and go get a ring, you judge unless you do it. Um, where you're drafted at, people are going to judge you regardless at this stage, right? I, <clears throat> so it's two, it's a few things. One, I feel like Dame, uh, when you talk about the direction that the league is going, one, I, I love Dame Dollar. CJ, you know this, I love both of y'all guys. I, I love it when y'all two is together. Um, but I think you have to point, a, point the finger a little bit at his peers in today's game. Because when guys force them, they they the when guys force their ways out of certain situations or demand trades or team up in the offseason and, and put plans together to go play with one another, all of a sudden that's the bar that has been set. 
Now, when he talk about the ring culture, the ring culture has been around before we any of us, you, uh, Izzy, and myself was even born. You know, that's the that's the NBA of all. When we think of Bill Russell, we think of rings. We think of 11 of them. When we think of Jordan, we think of rings. We think of six of them. When we think of Cole, God bless his heart, sure. we we see the – you remember when he was in, in, in Dallas and sitting on the bench and he was like, two, three, four, five. He, he wasn't talking about how many all-star appearances. He was talking about his rings. And so – when, when, when we talk about championships, I think Dane, he think that, and I think it's more so people are, 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 are judging him because he's not competing or winning the championship. When, I, when, it, when it comes to me, I actually feel sorry for Dane because I want to see those box office performances in the Western Conference Finals on a consistent basis. I want to see Dane... In the, in, the, in the finals, dropping 50, being box office on the big stage. So when I look at Portland's situation and I'm looking at Dame have to score 50 or 71 just for them to win the game, I'm like, okay, cool. If it was your fifth year in the league, I'm okay with it. But when we start talking about 10, 11, or you know, the age of 31 or 32, it's like, okay, Dame Dollar, I understand your loyalty. And no one is going to frown upon you if you ask for ask out. My thing is, we want to see Dame when it matters the most, and it hasn't been his fault. I thought y'all had a great run together when you was in Portland, but when you was traded, now all of a sudden it kind of looked like a rebuilding stage, and it's like, Dame, do you really want to stay there for that? And so I asked, uh, because, you know, barbershop talk, friends calling your phone, they want to know your opinion. And I said this to people. I said, we had a lot of great players before our time that, that came in and shined, you know, multiple all-star appearances. Where we talk about, you know, Vince Carter, you know, guys like uh, uh, Allen Houston, who's in New York, flying under the radar, right? We forget how much of a hell of a player he was for the New York Knicks. We talk about Robert Ory more than we talk about guys that made the All-Star game. How do we talk about a guy that was a role player more than we talk about former All-Stars? Because this guy got seven championships. And Doc Rivers told me this a long time ago. He said, Perk, I'm going to tell you something. As a champion, people for ne never forget champions. But if I ask you right now, CJA, who was on the 2004 All-Star team? It'll take you an hour to remember the names. Hell, you might not even remember right now. You probably only can name about five of them. But if I ask you who won the championship, you'll remember right off the top. So it's always been about championships, in my opinion, way before now. This is not just ring culture now. Like Pistons, Lance it took Bird, me a minute, but it was the Pistons. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah but it didn't take you. <laughs> it, took you it actually <laughs> took you less than a minute. But what I'm saying is... Magic and Bird and Isaiah, like, it was about rings. You know what I'm saying? R Rodman, going to the Bulls, you know, leaving Detroit. It was about rings. Like, it was yeah, so all about rings. The only thing I'll push back on that is it was about rings for, and it still is, about rings for who? For those judging, right? It's for us. It's But 
Like if I go back and, you know, probably my favorite player of all time now after Jason Williams uh, was Dwayne Wade. Um, when I go back now, I'm not trying to watch just his finals games. Like I'm going to watch, you know, the this is my house game, you know, where you hit the game winning three. I'm going to watch regular season games that were amazing. I'm going to watch first, second, you know, playoff games that were amazing. And it's just going to bring back that same feeling. If I am a Portland Trailblazers fan, I would much rather my organization have that guy for 15 years giving me those kinds of feelings. And every year, like you said, maybe he needs to be more, that team needs to be more competitive for him to be satisfied. But I mean, I think of that team going every single year, uh, maybe not this year because there were some question marks, but certainly when CJ was there, you go in every single year thinking, man, if that team stays healthy, they're going to be pretty darn good. And they're probably going to beat some people who knows, you know, if they add a piece uh, right before the trade deadline, you know, they can win maybe even at all, depending on who they pick up. And I think that feeling is enough for Dame and maybe it'll run out soon, but maybe he just recognizes. And, you know, when, like he mentioned, Russell Westbrook, it's not always greener on the other side. You might not be able to go for 70. If you go try to join, I don't know, the Miami heat and get Jimmy Butler a championship. You know what I mean? So I I, I'm agreement that there there's two ways to look at this, but I totally see where Dame's coming from. And as a basketball fan who just wants to, you, you know, have that level of unity with my team, I like his thinking way more than I like the ring chasing thinking. Well, let me ask you this, Izzy, real quick. And, and I want your honest opinion. I love D-Wade. I want you to go back and I want you, you and CJ, I want y'all to think about this for a second. D-Wade resume, right? Multiple all-star games, I believe, made a few all-defensive teams. To me, one of the most underrated uh, shot blockers at the guard position they ever played the game of basketball. One-time scoring champ. One-time scoring champ, no, M no MVPs, regular season MVPs. If Dwayne Wade, he has three championships, right? Mm -hmm. If Dwayne Wade doesn't have three championships and one finals MVP, would Dwayne Wade be looked at differently? Um. It depends on who was winning those championships, because if they were LeBron, then no, I think he'd be looked at the same. I think he'd be looked at a guy who was in the wrong place, wrong time. Same way, you know, Clyde Drexler or Mitch Richmond was uh, or Reggie Miller was during during um, LeBron's age, I uh, during Michael Jordan's age. I think it's a it's a tough question with Dwayne, because, I mean, honestly, from like 2007 to 2009, 10, like he might have been like right there with LeBron as the best player in the league. So it's, he almost had to win it because he was that good. But if you're talking about somebody who's slightly, I don't know, Paul George, like if Paul George doesn't win a championship, like, I, I, I mean, I don't know who like his actual fan base is, maybe Indiana, but like, I don't think you're going to look at him and say, ah, that guy wasn't very good. He just wasn't in the right place at the right time. Like Paul Pierce used to say, hey, give me Shaq. And I would have had a bunch of championships, too. So so CJ, my question to you still on D-Wade, because I want to know this. Right. We, we we when we look when we when we talk about two guards, we talk about Jordan Cole, right? the best two guards to ever play the game in my eyes is Jordan Kobe. And then next, the next name that pops to mind is Dwayne Wade. So he actually comes to mind because of those three championships and that finals MVP. So if he don't have that, not all of a sudden you have a Dwayne Wade that actually could fall behind 
a James Harden when it comes to shooting guard. But who does that matter to? It matters to no, those but who it matters. make those judgments, right? Because but like I'm, if no, I'm a- no, but what I'm saying is some people actually value those championships more than regular season awards. And I think D Wade is one of those guys. But, but okay, I get what you're saying. But here's my so let's say James Harden never wins a championship. Does that mean Mono Ginobili's better? No. Because role matters too when you win a championship, right? Yeah, but I don't, but but I don't put like I, I think that's apples and oranges though, CJ, because when you start, you can't put like Ginobili never was a franchise player. Right. You but know he's a good two guard who won no, rings. No, 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 he was, but he never was a franchise player. What I'm solely talking about guys that like, were here. The like, star of stars. Yeah, yeah, I, think I, know. I think I know. Per- Perk is basically trying to say that he doesn't want Damian Lillard to not be recognized for as good as he wa- is, and he won't be if he doesn't win a championship, the same way Dwayne Wade wouldn't have been if he didn't he win a championship. Won. And that makes sense. And you want I the best want players Dame, in the game to win a championship. I'm Like I said, I'm not mad at Dame for staying in Portland. I'm not mad at his for his decision and how he feels. I'm saying it got to the point for me where it's like, I want to see Dame in another situation where he has another superstar by him, where he we ate what was the Eastern Conference or the Western Conference or the finals, and mm-hmm. Dame is on that main stage again. Like I, I feel like because it's getting towards the back end of his career. Now he probably have six or seven more years. I'm just saying, me personally, I'm like, man, I want to see this dude. Like, he's a he's a damn superstar. Like, it's no shade thrown to him. I just want to see him on there, whether he win it or not. I want to see him in the postseason, not going home. What I want, what I don't want to do is diminish what he does if he doesn't win a championship. Oh no, no, right? no, 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 no. because I look at like. Him versus even Giannis. Like, think of moments. I'm like, boy, this one was way better than anything I've seen Giannis do. You know, that game winner on Paul Pierce, like, and that stare into the camera. Like, that's that stuff you're never going to forget. And did it bring a title? No, but damn it, if it didn't bring a lot of joy to people who love basketball and people in Portland. And I think where, you know, you compare him to Charles Barkley, you got Charles has got his fan base in Philly. He's got his fan base in, in Phoenix. He's got a fan base in Houston. But who is his real home base? Mm-hmm. I mean, Dwayne, you know you've got Miami. Uh, with Dame, you know it's going to be Portland no matter. Even if he left tomorrow and finished his career elsewhere, it's going to be Portland. Right. I think there's something to be said about that for the longevity of life. Like, yeah, I might not be, you know, have those little rings next to my name on my stat sheet in basketball reference, but damn, that year was a lot of fun, and I have so many memories. I just think Dame taking it the wrong way. I don't think people criticize it. Him for not leaving. I think people just want the best for Dame because they want to see him on that stage. I'm me personally. Yeah. I'm not criticizing because I'm gonna turn on the TV and watch him put up them 50 pieces. But I'm like, why can't we enjoy this more in the postseason? Mm-hmm. Well, it's gonna be just one of those deals where um, you know, 15 years from now, you're going to be watching an old 71 pointer from Dame and be like, man, how come this guy wasn't on national TV more often? He was really good. <laughs> I think that's probably what's going to happen. Uh, last true. thing before we get out of here, um, speaking of, of, uh, ring culture, did you guys see, uh, that they unearthed an old Austin Reeves, uh, tweet where he posted a meme that said, when I need some peace and quiet, I set my phone to LeBron mode, no ring. 
and it's a picture of Kobe just with his arms shrugged like this. How quickly do you think Austin Reeves is off the Lakers? Uh, nah, nah, he's a free agent this summer, so he got yeah. until summer at least. Right? Right. Other teams need to look. He's not going to resign. I know that. Uh, Perk, that was great, man. Uh, we should have you on all the time. I appreciate y'all having me. I'm free all the time, and I can talk a lot. Hey, you know what I noticed? We didn't mention something. Hey, the good thing I about being retired, I'm watching CJ. He got to drink water, and I get to drink my Dr. Pepper. <laughs> That's sick. Before we go, we got to mention the fact that Perk has a new book out. Perk, yes. you want to tell us about your new book real quick before we get off? Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Uh, it's the education of Kendra Perkins, and – Obviously, I had a co-author because if it was left up to me to write a book by myself, it would have took five years. That's the first thing. I always got to be honest. But it's always about timing. And on the floor, I was the the enforcer, and people didn't really know who I was. And then all of a sudden, they started to see me on television in my new career. And it's like, I didn't know Perk had a personality. I didn't even know he smiled. Hell, I didn't even know he laughed. So I'm like... Let me let the world know who I am. And so I, I dove into my time in Boston, where I grew up at, the, the 11 Hall of Famers that I played with. I cleaned up some areas about the NBA. Uh, you know, how people have the narrative of, oh yeah, you touched down in cities and you arrived to the hotel and it's a lobby full of women. You know, like that's false. So I dove into that. I dove into me watching guys put in that hard work, the Hall of Famers that I was blessed to play with. And I also dove into my story. You know, how my mom was shot and killed when I was five years old by a best friend. How I was up for adoption and my grandparents took me in. My grandfather made $350 a month cleaning up the local church. My grandmother was a housekeeper that made $60 a week. And, we, and I grew up in a two bedroom home that my great grandfather built for me, with a, built for us, and the ceilings was six four. So by the time I got in the eighth grade, I basically couldn't fit in the house. And my whole motive and my whole agenda to get to the league was one for the, I had the love for the game was, but the other was to get my grandparents out of that situation. So I did it for them. I talked about how my dad went overseas, never was a factor in my life, played professional basketball in New Zealand. Uh, never came back to check on me. I didn't have shoes. I didn't have clothes. I couldn't grow up in country town in Beaumont. You know, it's hard to go find, you know, a size 14 shoe for a guy my age. And so I talked about, you know, the trials and tribulations and how I was in search of that security. And, you know, my wife, who I've been with since the 10th grade, she always tell me, like, you never show emotions, even when I go to a funeral. And I always tell her, I don't have any more tears to shed. Like I cried myself to sleep so many nights, those tears are gone. It's not that I'm a, a, a hardcore, I'm ruthless. It's just, I just handle situations di uh, differently. And I also talk about my time, you know, for us, me going down to anger management. I also educated the people about where I'm from. Uh, you know, I was in school and racism still is the all time high when you talk about being in Texas. Like Jasper, Texas is only 30 minutes from Beaumont, where I grew up from. And I know y'all are familiar with the James Bird Jr. killing, where he was drugged off the back, uh, drug on the back of the truck and they killed him, you know? And so I talked about how in certain cities that 
I grew up in, once I started driving, my, my grandmother was like, don't ever step foot in this city that's like 10 minutes away from Beaumont called Vida, where it's 98%, you know, white Americans, where you had just five years ago, a 16-year-old African-American was found shot dead on the railroad tracks and the case just went cold. So I dove into that. I dove into the history of the Celtics. I talked about Braun in my book. And yes, it was a memoir, but I also educated people about the NBA and what it was like being a guy that was a role player and being with those Hall of Famers. So, you know, it's pretty good, man. I thought I did, you know, I thought I told the story well. Um, everything about it was facts. And also, like, again, I want to hop on, I shined a different light uh, on the NBA players because people always assume and not really know what the hell is going on. And I wanted to bring out the positive side of what's really going on inside the locker rooms, doing the traveling, things to that nature. Well, shit, we should have just talked about that the whole time, but then you probably wouldn't sell any books because you gave it all away. <laughs> no, I appreciate you sharing that, man. I'm going to go pick up your book, man. That's that's really dope. And um, for you to share some personal stories as to how you grew up, I, I know that took a lot, so I appreciate that. I appreciate you. I appreciate you, CJ and Izzy, man. Uh, I appreciate y'all, the wonderful job y'all do, not only on this podcast, but all across the media space. CJ, look. I'm rooting for y'all, bro. I'm rooting for you. You know I've been a huge fan, and I'm glad y'all had that coming to Jesus meeting today. <laughs> and that's a, but 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 that's another thing. And I know we got to go, but that's another thing that people on the outside world, when I go on there and say it on TV, I'm like, you know, you got to have those coming to Jesus meeting. They like, oh, what the hell, Perk talking about? I'm like, see, you got to be in the locker room to understand exactly what the hell I'm saying. That's calling each other out and everybody accepting it, but. Y'all gonna be fine. Y'all gonna be fine. We're gonna be good, man. And I appreciate you pulling up and coming on the podcast, man. I wish you nothing but the best. Good luck with everything. And I'm sure I'll see you and I'll be tapping in soon, man. And Izzy, I know you got the wine. I'm about to go on a walk before the sun sets and <laughs> enjoy my evening. Man, I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you, man. I tell, I tell everybody that one year I played in Noya, that was the best time of my life. <laughs> it's a good time. It's a good time. That's for sure. Come on, people. You want some of this fried gator, baby? Yes, man. <laughs> All right. Y'all take man. it easy. All right. Later. All right. Peace.